power of a question often is much more emphatic than those statements that can be said with a mere indicative. And those questions that beckon an answer have an implication of their answer already built in them. And so does our Lord do in the passage before us. There's questions that he asks with the implications that are built in. And then he all goes on to seek to answer those questions. As we come to Matthew chapter 7, I'll begin reading at verse 7 down through verse 12. As we come to this passage that I hope and trust will be as an encouragement to you as it is to me. Let us pray, or let us read. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. For what man is there among you? Who if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for him a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Spirit of God who has inspired men to give us the very word of God infallibly and inerrantly, who's given it to us purely so that we can trust in our God hearing this speak to us this day. We ask that you would illuminate this passage of Scripture with understanding to our hearts and to inflame our love And to build our passion for our great God and strengthen us in our faith, dispelling doubts by the very word now preached. And be glorified, our Lord, to bring forth much fruit, for that is the reason you sought us and saved us, and that you might bring forth fruit from our lives. And be glorified, our Father in that very fruit that we ask not 30-fold and not even 60-fold, but a 100-fold from our lives and from this congregation. And we pray this to the honor and the glory of your name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in this Sermon on the Mount, which was one sermon, this is the third time that Jesus addresses this particular topic, the topic of prayer. Prayer was a topic that he spoke a lot about, and some say it was the topic that he spoke most frequently about. Of all the back in chapter 5, when he says, pray for those who persecute you, he's telling us there even who to pray for, and the most unsuspecting audience. The second time, he gives us in a more lengthy exposition, and beginning in chapter 6, he tells us in chapter 6 then, he taught us how to pray. First of all, he told us the manner in which to pray, not ostentatiously and to do it as unto men out in public, but to do it as unto the Lord in secret, who sees in secret, who hears your private praying. And then he goes on to a give us the petitions of what we now call the Lord's Prayer, showing us what we are to pray. So he's shown us 
for whom we are to pray. He's shown us the manner in which we are to pray. He's shown us what to pray. Now he comes this third time with this other aspect of this topic, addressing the question of why should we pray? Because Jesus knows that we have difficulty in this area. And this is the very thing He seeks to encourage us here. We see our Lord Himself being a perfect example upon this earth as He prays. Sometimes spending all night in prayer. Always walking in close communion with His Father. And so important is prayer to the lives of His people. And so weak did He know that we would be in it. That here He takes some specific time to give us reasons. And He reasons with us about the value of praying. there's There's a question that haunts God's people. And if you're like me, it's haunted me. It's a question I've had. It's a question that my flesh entertains, even to this very day. And part of my labor for the ministry is to pray, to minister in word and prayer. And that question, it often haunts us. Well, if I pray, would it really do any good? You ever felt that? You ever ever thought that? You ever been tempted that way? Will it it do any good? Why should I spend all this time fervently and consistently in praying? I prayed about that over and over on a few things. And what Jesus does here is He reasons with us why we should be persistent in praying. And He's going to argue for it. His purpose here is to get you to believe in the power and the efficacy of faithful, fervent praying, dispelling the doubtful notions that we often entertain that prayer really doesn't do very much. And that's His purpose. So He's calling us again to the third time for this particular topic in this one short sermon. And there's a whole conclusion to this matter. And the conclusion in verse 12 often sometimes seems disconnected. Have you ever thought about it as a conclusion? Verse 12, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, that is the most quoted verse in this entire sermon. And for some people, the most quoted verse out of the Bible, whether they're believers or not, everybody tends to know the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But did you understand that that is a conclusion to the matter of faithful, persistent praying? You see the word therefore? Therefore, which starts off verse 12. That is a statement of conclusion. It's a conclusion of something that he had just previously discussed in the the context. And that was this matter of praying. So what is the connection then between the argument for praying that was given in verses 7 through 11 with this conclusion of the golden rule? And it basically goes something like this. If you will give yourselves to the persistent and faithful praying, then you're going to be liberated. You're going to be free. 
You will be at a freedom that you will start treating the people the right way. You don't have to worry ever again about clutching and grasping and running over people and playing hardball with anybody because since this is the way it's going to be, verses 7 through 11, just go ahead and treat people the way you want to be treated and God's going to take care of everything that you ask Him for. You never have to be envious or jealous of another person's wealth or their life or their opportunities or their experience ever again. In fact, you can rejoice with them over those matters. You never have to be stingy or greedy ever because you have promises here that liberates you and promises that you can believe if you just give yourself to fervent, faithful, persistent praying. And it just tremendously liberates you. That's why you can pray for those who persecute you. You can treat them as though you would like to be treated, even though they are not reciprocating that action. So that's the conclusion. And that's just about all we're going to say about that today. So let's work through some of those major points of him coming to that conclusion and what the Lord is exhorting and encouraging and reasoning with us here so that we can be liberated before the throne of grace and that we might have a relationship with one another as he has intended for us to be. Remember in this Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 is dealing largely with our, starts off with the characteristics of the, of the kingdom. He moves that into chapter 6 with looking at some of the activities. And now in chapter 7, he's actually bringing to bear our relationships of this great kingdom. So why does Jesus feel compelled to address this subject of prayer one more time in this one sermon? It's because God knows that after telling us of these things, after informing us, teaching of those petitions, how to pray, for whom to pray, the manner of praying, that we need to be stirred up one more time unto belief in order to be faithful to the most important activity in the Christian life. To believe these very things that he is speaking of here. And he's going to reason with us. So the first thing that the Lord does to encourage us in this matter, to dispel doubt and get us to believe, is he's going to encourage us to ask. And in asking, there's an underlying assumption that he implies. Prayer is primarily asking. Now, there's other kinds of prayers. There's prayer of adoration. There's prayer of confession. There's prayer of doxology. There's all sorts of prayers. But prayer is mostly and primarily about asking. Six times the word ask is used in this passage, and six times the word give is also used. But the underlying assumption that carries this entire passage is a normal kingdom experience that I have and that you have and everybody in the kingdom has. And that underlying kingdom experience is need. We have need. We all have needs. You've got physical needs. You've got spiritual needs. 
In fact, I used Luke chapter 11 because it is the parallel passage over in Luke of this very passage. And here, there he says that if you ask and seek and knock, and that even if your earthly father knows how to give good things, don't you know how your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? So there it's addressing a spiritual need. Here it's addressing even physical needs. Both are true. We have needs. God knows that. That's an underlying assumption that we all have needs. And the only way those needs are going to be met is by asking and seeking and knocking. Our God has made us with needs. Our God has designed us intentionally to be completely and utterly dependent upon Him. If that were not true, we would be a piece of dirt still lying in a great garden somewhere. And this earth would have never been fallen because we would have been lifeless. But it is when God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, man became a living being. And from that time on, completely dependent upon God for every physical, for every spiritual, for every emotional, mental, for every breath you breathe. Right now, your heart is beating because of the will of God. That is our makeup. We're dependent upon Him. And man's biggest problem is when he tried to become just a little bit more independent and autonomous from his Maker. And life simply does not work that way. It didn't work in the garden for Adam, and it doesn't work for that way for us today. So for kingdom people, God wants to drive us to our knees to recognize that we must depend upon Him and ask Him for those things that we need because He delights in giving us those things that we need. So the teaching, first of all, assumes that you have need, I have need. That's just a part of all of our kingdom experience. And the ways to meet that need is met by asking God for the answers, for His help. Now, the second thing our Lord wants to encourage us in praying is persistence in the asking. And He's, do, he's going to do this in several ways. Sometimes we feel... Well, what's the use in praying? I prayed for that. And can you just imagine your conversation now in heaven before the judgment seat of God? And God's asking you, why didn't you pray more? I had so many good things to show you and do in your life. Well, I, well, well, I, I did pray. And it didn't seem like it was doing any good. So I backed off. Well, did you persist? Would come the next question. Why didn't you persist? That's what I wanted you to do, my dear child. Persist in praying. Persist in asking. And that's the kind of praying that is filled with Faith that does not give up. And that's the kind of praying that God desires from you. There are several ways here in this passage, and it's parallel passage, that God will bring out this very core focus of persistence in the way that we are to pray. First of all, he uses synonyms. 
The use of synonyms, ask and, and seek and knock. These three words, which are essentially synonyms here, they mean the same thing, and, but he's using a repetition in order to drive point the, home, the point home that we are to be persistent in these things. And when synonyms are employed, especially in the manner in which they are here, Oftentimes, they are employed with little nuances that paint a, a, a picture a little fuller than we otherwise would have if we simply used a particular word. So there is a word here for every single person. No matter what your situation is in life today, there is a word of one of these synonyms is for you. And everybody ought to be able to find one of those three words. Do you feel this morning that God is near? Okay, then. Ask. Or do you feel that He this morning is distant? Okay, then. Seek. Or maybe you just feel like that door is closed. Okay, then, knock. See? There's a word there for you today. And there'll be a word there of the one is three tomorrow. The second way that he emphasizes persistence is not just the use of synonyms, which is one way, but the second way he uses that is in the form of those words. Those are action words. Those are verbs that are given in terms terms in form of an imperative. He is commanding. That's an imperative. Now, I tell you, ask and seek and not. But the form of that imperative is a continuation of action. So it would be translated literally, keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. Keep on with it. Not just one time. Don't give up. Don't stop. I want you to keep on. And then the third way he emphasizes this characteristic of persistence in praying is from Luke's parallel passage that we read a short time ago where he uses an illustration. And a visitor comes to you. And it's you that is in the story in the way Jesus puts this illustration. A visitor comes to you. An old friend, you weren't expecting him to show up at your door, and it's late. Oh, how great it is to see you. And then immediately the thought occurs to you, I don't have anything in the cupboard. I haven't prepared. Oh, no. So you bring your friend in, and you're just desperate to find out something. It's late. It's late. Everybody's tucked in, and... Your household has awakened just to greet this, this pilgrim on his way and, and now the delight to see him. And now you're awakened and you've got things going and you're going to fellowship with him a little bit, but you want to meet his needs and you want to be hospitable and you have nothing in your cupboards. So what do you do? What do I do? I'm putting myself in the story. At midnight, I'm going to go and knock on Bert's door. 
And I'm his friend. And that's the point of the, of the story. If a friend, and he's my friend, I'm going to go knock on the staffer's door. And I can just hear it now. And all of a sudden you're thinking there's something wrong, you know, and it wakens you up a little bit more. And you, hey, friend, Bert, I don't have anything in my cupboards. And I, you know, my old friend showed up from school. Larry, Larry shows up. I don't have anything for Larry. You got some bread to share? What are you doing? It's midnight. It's in the middle of the night. All the kids are sleeping. My wife's sleeping. And you're... Bert, I need some food. Go away. My house is quiet. We are long past sleep. Bert, give me some food. That's exactly the story. That's exactly how the parable or the metaphor is given. The guy won't go away. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. Bert said, I love you, brother. You're my friend, but I am not getting out of this bed to give you food at midnight. If anybody knows me and the story about my wife, my wife knows I do not get out of bed after I go to sleep for anything. I don't get out of the bed for my friends. I don't get out of the bed for my children. I don't get out of the bed for my wife. And I love her probably more than any other person on this earth. Just listen to the story sometimes. We thought someone was breaking in our house. And she's, oh, man, what's going on? I'm like, just let them take it. Right there. <laughs> We don't, we don't need it. <laughs> Look around. That's the one time I realized, I don't even have a gun. This is way back when. I, I, get, a, I get a four iron, and I go out there and think, oh. I look around a little bit, ain't nothing here. There was a time a squirrel was crawling across our clothes, literally that far away. <gasps> He'll go away. I mean, that's how I am. So you come knocking on my door at midnight, Go away. And you can hear this awkward conversation through the walls. He's not even getting out of bed. And I can see it. I'm at Bert's front door, and he's yelling out, you know, out of his bed, which is not far from the front door. Go away. But I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. So I say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. Knock and it will be opened. You feel like God is distant today and the door is closed? Knock and it will be opened. But the whole focus around which that Luke 11 passage revolves is persistence. There's one word there that is translated because of his persistence. It's translated several different ways because it is the only time this word exists in the Bible. It's a very rare word. It comes from a root word that means shame or embarrassed. But this word has a negative in front of that word, which means unashamed or not embarrassed. 
because he is not embarrassed and ashamed to continue to beat on the door at midnight, even when his friend is saying, go away, I'm not ashamed, I'm just going to keep on. Come on, Bert, get up. Give me the food. Give me that ham that's in your fridge. I know it's there. I saw it last night. Come on. Come on. Oh. That's the point Jesus wants you to be praying like. He's given you an illustration. You don't give up. You don't stop asking because you don't now see the, the answers for it today. You don't whip your credit card out with God and He swipes it and gives you right then, though He does that sometimes. He wants you to just keep on. Persistence. So there's major ways here that God is revealing persistence, the use of synonyms and the kind of synonym of the keeping on, the continuation, and even this, this story that he puts you in the middle of with your friend, and finally he's going to get up and he's going to answer that prayer. And that's the major point he's making here is persistence. And we need to have this kind of life and character in our praying. Keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking because it will be given to you and you will find it and it will be open to you. And sometimes God just holds back the need or meeting the need because He's wanting you to just keep on asking. Remember the greatest characteristic in which God is glorified in your life is this characteristics of endurance. Bearing under pressure and enduring by grace. And that is one of the greatest characteristics that God has given His people and He's given the grace to fulfill because He is most glorified when you do. You can only do that by trusting Him and relying upon Him daily. Now the third thing the Lord does here is then He reasons with us. He's going to give us reasons in verses 8 through 11 why we should be this persistent in praying. Verse 8 starts with the word for. For is a word that now explains. It can be translated because. Now here's what I'm trying to tell you. This is the reason why. So he reasons with us. And so the next four verses are designed to reason with us why we should be persistent in praying. Because, admit it, we don't tend to just rise up in, a, in amazement and wonderment and embrace the very things that he says. Hey, you know, if you keep on asking, you're going you're gonna to answer. Oh, great. Now just go out and do it. No, we, we don't tend to do that. Our Lord here is actually stooping down on our level to encourage us, knowing that we struggle in this area, but we shouldn't. And he, rather than being harsh and commanding and belittling us for our little faith, he now gently begins to reason with us, to dispel doubts, and to build the faith up so that we would be persistent and that we might have a full life and great joy because we are asking and it pleases him to grant that answer. So he gives us two main reasons why we should be faithful and persistent praying. Number one is given us in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And the very first reason he gives us is this. Because you have the certainty of receiving back from God for your asking. 
Now, right now, this is either to be accepted or doubted by you. He's trying to dispel those doubts. But I ask, and he doesn't hear. I ask, and he doesn't answer. I've actually asked quite a few times, and he's not doing anything. So what's the use? Now, he's addressing that very tendency. You see, many people regard the promises of Scripture much like those little pop-up ads or those little pop-up things. You're on your computer, and all of a sudden a pop-up comes. You are the amazing winner. And right now, you have won a new laptop. Or those things that come in the mail. You are the great winner, and now, all of a sudden, you have won millions of dollars. And you think, oh, well, I can build that church building and still have plenty left over. That's the way, and, and you know what? Now, all of a sudden, there's small print, and we find out, no, that's not true, and Time after time again, there's these big promises and you get excited once or twice and find out, no, that's not true at all. And we've become somewhat calloused and seared to those kinds of promises. And we've grown up in a world of these kinds of promises of small print and marketing schemes. They always have strings attached and it's really not for you ever. So that when we come to God's promises, we often doubt them. It seems too good to be true. And you know the old saying, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Well, not with God. He's trying to dispel that kind of doubt. Because we grow up in a world that lacks integrity. But Jesus is not like that. And God is not like that. And when we fail to keep on asking, we often fail to receive what God desires for us to have. James says, if you don't ask, you don't have because you don't ask. Now here he gives us in verse 8. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And there's something about both the receiving and the finding here that is notable. And both of them are in the very present tense. When you ask, you are receiving. When you seek, you are finding. Right now, there's an immediacy to the promise that God is giving us here that is notable. In fact, as you are praying to God, God is answering your prayers real time, right now. Jesus is here teaching what another man aptly explained. True faith glories in the present tense and does not worry about the future. Isn't that Matthew 6? He's already been over that ground, but now he's bringing it to the realm of praying. That's why the Scriptures tell us elsewhere, do do not be anxious for anything, but in prayer, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind sound in Christ Jesus. So it all comes together. See, the full outworking of the answers may still be in the future, but God is in the present beginning to answer that prayer request right then. And the key here is faith. You ask believing but let not that man who is double-minded in all of his ways think that he shall receive anything that he asks if he asks in doubt, wavering like a wind in the wave. Now God does tend to answer prayers in one of three ways. 
Sometimes he says yes, and he says it right away. And sometimes he says no, and how thankful we are when God has sometimes told us no. But he oftentimes says wait. Sometimes people think it's always no. I shared with you before, I was a little boy and I prayed for, uh, on, a, on a Saturday night, I prayed for a new bicycle to be on my front porch first thing in the morning when I went out before I went to church. I went to bed that night expecting. I went out there the next morning and there no bicycle. I looked around, I went onto the side porch, no bicycle. Oh. <sighs> What's the use? Well, because I didn't get it in God's timing the way he wanted. But you know how many bicycles I've had since the time I prayed for that? Do you not think that, that those, all those bicycles I've owned in my life perhaps may have been an answer to the one simple prayer that I thought God said no, and he says, wait, and I'm going to show you many bicycles. And my favorite little orange one with a banana seat that I could do a wheelie like a unicycle riding farther than Cheyenne. But that was not the bicycle I prayed for back then. It was just a little thing with training wheels. You know, God has so many answers to our prayers that I'm afraid that we often forget what we've prayed for and yet God doesn't forget and He comes and He answers it and He answers it lavishly. And when we get to heaven, oh, well, you prayed for that, you prayed for that, you prayed for that. Well, that, really? I did? I forgot. J.C. Ryle says, the time and the way our prayers should be answered are matters that we have to leave entirely to God, but that every petition that we offer in faith will certainly be answered. You shouldn't doubt Our Lord is reasoning with us here that the persistent prayers in faith will most certainly be answered by God. So pray and keep on praying. A second reason he gives us in verse 9 through 11, and that's because of the way a father is with his children. And there's an illustration there. Now this is a parallel between God and us and our earthly fathers and the children The way we often think about God is influenced by the way and the relationship we have and the experiences we have with our earthly fathers. This is built into our nature. We can't can't get away from it. If your father was harsh with you or stern and you could never please him, that will influence some way that you have in your thinking about God. Or if he was an easy pushover and everything that you... Could do, you knew how to manipulate him to get what you want. That's going to influence the way you think about your heavenly father. And yet, all of us earthly fathers, we are sinners. Jesus, without any qualms or any exceptions, but you who are earthly fathers who are evil, pointing to every one of us fathers. And every one of us fathers falls short in revealing the glory of Christ to our children. And one of the biggest challenges for us is to let God define himself and explain himself to alter our view of him that is not the distorted experiences that we've had with our earthly fathers. 
But in verses 9 and 10, he poses two questions for us. And those two questions are questions that should imply the answer that begins to reveal. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a bread, gives him a stone? Or what, when he asks for a fish, does he give him a serpent? In other words, who out there among you earthly fathers taunts your children in your gift giving to them? If your boy wants a bicycle and he wants that blue bicycle that he's been looking for and longing for, and his birthday comes up, and instead of that blue bicycle, you decide to get him the pink one, and you go let all the airs out of his tires, and you bend the spokes, and you weld the chain together, and you go, ha, there's your bicycle. You fathers on earth who are evil, do you do that? No, no natural father does. Now, there are many unnatural fathers or some natural, unnatural fathers, but those are the guys that ends up in jail. Those are the guys we read of, and they, they give them over to psychiatrists because they've got great mental issues, and those are men of unnatural affection and their total depravity. And that's what Jesus is doing here. If your son asks for bread, do you go give him a stone and just taunt and laugh? <laughs> or if he wants a fish, you go give him a snake? Here, son, here's a rattlesnake for you. Play with that. You know, that's easy. No. Earthly fathers, even though evil, they don't think that way. They don't act that way. You know, the natural response of us fathers, we do want our children to be happy. We want to give them great experiences of life. We want to take our sons on wonderful adventures and our daughters. What we have, we want to take them to the ice cream store or to, to get lattes. In this world we live in, my kids ask more for lattes than for ice cream. But we get great pleasure in seeing our children faces light up when there's a new surprise or a gift that they've longed for. And isn't it always more exciting for the both of us when you know that they've been longing for this gift for a very long time. It's not one that they've forgotten about. And they keep longing for it and keep longing for it. And they've suggested and they've asked. And that birthday time comes around and you've got it and you want it that to be the last gift that they open because you know it's the, the big one and you've got the camera all out and they open it up and it lights up and you light up and you just want to share this with the world. That is the connection that you need to embrace when you think about asking your father in persistence and he delights in seeing your face light up when he gives you the answer. And that's the point he's making here. If you and your nature who are evil and fallen know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts? Blessed gifts, gifts beyond your imagination, things that your mind cannot comprehend, your heart can conceive, your ears have ever heard, or your eyes have ever seen, to those who persistently and faithfully ask Him. Folks, God knows you have needs. He created you that way. But he not only wants to meet the base needs of your life, 
But he delights in giving you many good gifts, even beyond what you simply ask for, because he enjoys you lighting up in your communication with him. But he wants you to believe him. He didn't want you to think of him like you see those pop-up ads or you get that junk mail. He wants you to understand that he is gracious and he's loving in his character. And he wants you to keep on asking and he wants you to keep on seeking. And even when he's distant or feels that way, which he has promised not to be, but when he feels that way to you, then he wants you to keep on knocking. And he's promised you he will provide. He will give. You will find. And he will open it up to you. He is listening and he is ready to answer the very moment you begin asking. He says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. The psalmist says, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you. I could go on and on and on rehearsing these promises of God, of his goodness and grace to his people. And it would take us not only the rest of the day, but into the days to come telling you of these great things. But right now he wants you to believe this, taking for his word. And keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking because He hears and He is answering as you're speaking. And He will also lavishly answer beyond your wildest imagination. That is a good and gracious God. A merciful God and loves to not only save us out of our sins but to exalt us into the heavenlies to participate in the Lordship of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are found together in Him. What He has given His Son, He has given to us. Let's pray. Father, these things are too wonderful for us, and these thoughts are too high for us to even comprehend. For they adorn Your love and Your beauty to such an extent that it's hard for us to even imagine in this world full of promises but empty ones. The integrity of this world is that which often shapes and forms our hearts. And now you have squared us up to show us something that we often doubt, but we need to be reasoned with and how thankful we are for our Lord's reasoning. That what you say, you will bring it to pass. And if we ask, you will grant us. And you even now, as we are praying before your throne, even now you are answering our prayers. You are filling our heart. You are giving us joy. We have our doubts dispelled. And even now we have a renewed vigor in our faith that we can trust you at your word. And immediately our flesh begins to ask, well, what about, and yes, but, and and yet dispel those doubtful thoughts that we can ask believing and persist in these matters so that you can be glorified in the answers and the lavish gift of grace. So Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and minds in this and the days to come and for the rest of our lives and being more praying warriors and more communication with our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.